Well, hello, friends. It is great to be with you. Um, here we are again for another live uh, video class uh, on the book of Matthew uh, on May the 7th, which is a couple of important things, as some of you likely are already aware of. Uh, this year, May the 7th, is the National Day of Prayer. So I hope that you have considered that. Uh, many of us from our church and from a lot of other churches have been praying for our country and for our world and for our own individual communities and churches. Uh, and using 2 Chronicles 7.14, that great statement uh, from the Lord in the days of Solomon that uh, encourages everyone to pray uh, to the Lord and to repent and uh, contains the promise that uh, uh, God will uh, take seriously when his people pray and when his people repent and uh, will uh, heal our land. And so we're asking God to do that uh, based on that scripture, but of course, based on the rest of scripture as well. Uh, and uh, caveat in that, of course, is uh, the will of the Lord because we know that uh, we trust in his will and he'll do uh, what is best in, uh, in uh, his will and for his purpose, uh, including in our own individual lives and in the lives of our country and our world. Um, May 7th is special for another reason, as some of you are aware of. If you have been watching my uh, Facebook page, then you'll note some pictures from back in the day. Uh, Joyce and I were married on May 7th in 1977. Uh, 43 years ago today at uh, approximately 2.45 in the afternoon. Uh, yeah, weird time. It was scheduled at 2, but things got started a little bit late. Not my fault, uh, but it, it did, and that was okay. And uh, we here we are 43 years uh, later, and I can't tell you um, the blessing that she has been in my life. She is the biggest blessing uh, that God has granted uh, me in this life, in this world. Uh, the only blessing bigger is um, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and the sacrifice he made for me um, that uh, through her uh, we have uh, been able to enjoy two wonderful uh, daughters that are just amazing, amazing. It's incredible uh, the way they have turned out considering who their parents are, certainly um, the power of God at work and uh, four incredibly gifted, uh, wise beautiful, wonderful, intelligent, talented uh, grandchildren. <clears throat> and, uh, and so I am, I am a blessed man, very blessed. And today of all days uh, on this, our, our anniversary. So I hope that you'll scroll down sometime and take a look at the pictures, uh, some from the 70s, some from a little bit more recent times. Um, but uh, what a blessing uh, it is that God has given uh, this uh, San Antonio boy. Um, as we've been going through this study uh, in uh, the book of Matthew, uh, we find ourselves uh, almost uh, a little bit past midway through the 14th chapter. And, um, and this is one of the great, great stories uh, in the Bible. It's not just the story of Jesus walking on the water, but it's the story of Peter walking on the water and not just walking but sinking and not just uh, sinking but um, being saved and delivered uh, by the Lord and once again a an important passage that reminds us of the great power of Jesus Christ as the Son of God 
Um, and, uh, and it also has inspired one of my favorite book titles. I have several favorite book titles. Uh, one of them is The Proverbs 31 Lady and Other Impossible Dreams. <laughs> love that book title so much. Uh, I love Amy Morin's book um, that uh, the title, uh, 13 Things That Mentally Strong People Don't Do. Um, and I think that's a wonderful, uh, wonderful title. And uh, some of what we'll be talking about from this story in Matthew 14 um, uh, is very important in um, the words that she brings in that book. Um, but the title of the book that I'm especially thinking of with this story from Matthew 14 is a book by John Ortberg on this event. Um, and the title is, If You Want to Walk on Water, You've Got to Get Out of the Boat. A splendid title, an amazing title. And if you read the book, which I certainly recommend, uh, it'll, it'll surprise you a little bit because he doesn't just say jump out of the boat at any time for any reason and for any purpose. Um, there are actually some things that he considers very strongly in that. And I think it's wonderful. But if you're going to walk on water, you've got to get out of the boat. That is still uh, very, very true. So whether you're watching live, and I hope you are, if you are, say hello, and I'll uh, try to uh, acknowledge that maybe. Uh, my old buddy, old pal Doug Sifford is on here. Doug, you'll recognize a couple of those pictures of Joyce and me with Oklahoma Christian uh, College uh, shirts and uh, the look that we had when we were uh, there at uh, Oklahoma Christian. Uh, listening to the four gospels, uh, you and uh, your buddies that had such a great quartet. Um, and others. So uh, with that, uh, let's start reading from Matthew 14, uh, beginning at verse uh, 22. Matthew 14, uh, verse 22. This great familiar story. Um, Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself uh, to pray. Uh, you've heard me say before, the number one uh, command or reason why we should pray, I think, that's found in Scripture is not just the commands to pray, although we certainly see that, uh, including a passage that I uh, put on my page today from 1 Thessalonians 5 that says pray continually. Uh, but I think an even greater reason is what we just read right then, that Jesus prayed, the Son of God prayed, if the Son of God prayed boy, I really should uh, as well. Uh, so Jesus went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone. And Matthew 14, verse 24, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. And I want you to know I'm with them 100% on that. Verse 27, but Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Verse 28, Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. 
Then those who were in the boat worshiped him saying, truly you are the son of God. Such a great, great story. I love everything about this story. And there's so many wonderful applications that we can make. And again, that great book by John Ortberg, if you want to walk on water, you've got to get out of the boat. And so this is a story, not just about Jesus walking on the water, but it's a story of the apostle Peter walking on the water. And yes, he, uh, he, he doubted, he questioned, he got caught up in all of the, the storm that was going on, how deep that sea was um, and the waves and everything, but, um, and had to be saved by Jesus. Yes, I get that. But one of the things that I always am challenged by this passage is that Peter was the only one who got out of the boat. Now we all know Peter, the apostle, who is always the first one to try anything, the first one to say anything, um, but for Jesus and for Peter, uh, this was a special moment. And, um, and maybe because of his personality, uh, he was the one who got out of that boat. And I wonder why the others didn't go, but they didn't. Um, and so several things that John Ortberg brings out in this, um, in this great uh, passage in Matthew 14, uh, saying hello to the Murphys and the Allards. Uh, glad y'all are with us um, again, and I know some more are out there. Um, what John Ortberg says about this passage in Matthew 14 of Jesus and Peter walking on the water is that God uh, sometimes surprises us. Uh, and they were surprised. In fact, so surprised they were terrified. And like I said, I'm, I'm right there with them on that. I understand. I would be, I would be too. Um, and another thing he brings out is we must seek God's will. Uh, and I think that's important. Um, as Peter is going through this experience and he sees Jesus walking on the water, he says, Lord, if it is you, then let, tell me to come. Let me come to you. And Jesus says, sure, come on. Um, and I think we forget that about this story. It's not just jumping out of the boat for any reason. It's not just trying something just because it's risky or trying something because it's exciting. It's trying something because it's right and because it's God's will. I uh, shared a little devotional uh, a while back as we've been in this uh, COVID-19 pandemic time on my page about, uh, about that great passage in James 4 where uh, James, the brother of the Lord, reminds us that, you know, we should ask if it's the Lord's will. And, and granted, we're going to make a lot of plans, and that's good. I think that's good. That's okay, certainly. Uh, but we're also going to be uh, seeking God's will as we make those plans. I mentioned um, in the uh, uh, lesson recently that probably the, <laughs> the most useless thing that has been, has come around in a long time are uh, all those 2020 planning calendars that we bought at the end of 2019 and the beginning of this year, uh, because in the middle of March or so, it all became obvious that a lot of that stuff that we had on those plans, uh, they just weren't gonna be possible. Um, and so we, we seek the Lord's will and we seek the Lord's guidance. And we realize that sometimes things happen that, that keep those things uh, from going on. And that's what James tells us in James 4. And, and that's what other passages of scripture remind us that we're, we're dust. This, this world, this earth is so big and so huge. And we take just a little bitty part of it, an important part, but 
in the big grand scheme of things, uh, small indeed. And so we realize that as important as our plans seem to be to us, um, in the great eternal scheme of God, uh, they're not that significant to where God would stop everything else so that our plans could be fulfilled. He loves us, he cares about us, and I believe he's gonna act in our behalf, and that's what we pray for. But we also understand that it's not just about me in this world, it's about God. And so as I make my plans, as I think about getting in or out of the boat, um, I, I seek his will, I seek his guidance, and that comes right here, that comes through the scriptures. It's the inspired and authoritative word of God, and it's the only objective standard that we have. Uh, and it's enough, it's enough. Uh, along with that, God gives us the church where we can interact with people who also have that same faith and are seeking to do that same will of God so that we can bounce some things around with them and ask them about how we're understanding what God is saying to us in this word and how we feel about the things that God is, is uh, putting before us. Um, Peter does that. Uh, and, and God challenges us. He calls us. He, he tells Peter, come on go ahead. It is me, uh, or it is I, for those of you grammarians out there. Uh, and Jesus says, okay, Peter, if you want to come, if you're brave enough to come, if you're willing to trust me, then step out of the boat. And he does. Another thing uh, is that there are risks. When we answer God's call, there are risks. There are risks all the time. We're trying in, in our communities and in our churches and in our country and world right now to, to find that right balance between um, the risk to take uh, versus uh, being safe. And uh, that, that is a hard and complicated question. And so we pray for our leaders. We pray for our president and we pray for our vice president and the team that has been working uh, to try to manage this uh, uh, coronavirus uh, pandemic. We pray for our Congress and for our, our representatives and our senators, and, and we pray for our state and local leaders as well. Um, and, and those prayers transcend uh, political views. God calls us to pray, and he calls us to pray in the first century when the leaders, the civil leaders of the land uh, not only did not have Christian values, they were opposed and sometimes violently opposed uh, to the church that Jesus built. And yet the disciples were told to pray, uh, pray for them, pray for them to have wisdom and pray for them that their decisions will help the kingdom of Christ spread. Um, and that's what we do today. And we pray that it will help us to be safe and those around the world to be safe but we also pray that it would help uh, the message of the gospel to be able to be spread. Um, and, and so we, we acknowledge that there are risks. Um, there, are, there are risks, whether you're getting out to go to the grocery store, to go to a doctor's appointment, or if you're just uh, staying inside. Um, uh, we understand that, that, uh, that there, there are risks. And so we have to ask ourselves, what are the risks that are worth taking? because not all of them are. And I think that's something that this passage in Matthew 14 uh, affirms. And, and, and it's not jump out of the boat no matter what, but rather it's seek the Lord's will uh, and act responsibly and act unselfishly, not just for what you want, but for what is good for others as well. 
and specifically what is good uh, for the kingdom. Um, Peter says, let me go if that's you. And Jesus says, okay, come on. And Peter gets out of the boat. Again, amazingly enough, he's the only one. Um, and he does. But I think the next stage, of course, that this story shares is that sometimes we're going to fail. Sometimes we're going to uh, sink. Uh, this moment when Peter uh, begins to drown and calls out to Jesus and Jesus lifts him up is that uh, is the inspiration for that great old hymn that we use uh, a lot of times in the church, in our worship services, many times as we offer an invitation for people to come to be close or closer to Jesus. Uh, I was sinking deep in sin, uh, far from the peaceful shore. Uh, um, love lifted me. Uh, that great moment when Peter is sinking and he calls out for help. And for Peter, that's a big deal. And for a lot of us, it's a big deal. And he calls out for help and Jesus lifts him out of the sea. And they find themselves uh, in the boat once again. Uh, I was sinking deep in sin and love lifted me. What a great image. What a great song. Great old hymn based on this story. And sure enough, Jesus lifts us. When we fall, Jesus lifts us. And then finally, he's worthy of our worship. When they get back in the boat, um, the disciples can't, can't believe it. And they're not talking about how amazing Peter was. They're talking about how amazing Jesus is. And they worshiped him because they knew that this was, this was somebody special. This is not somebody that is like anybody else that we've ever known, anybody else that we've ever read about. Um, truly, this is the Son of God. And I think that's what this, this, um, uh, this story tells us. In John Ortberg's book, I think he talks about several other things that we won't have time to discuss uh, today. But again, I encourage you to read that book. Um, but, but he has a, a lot of things about discerning God's will. And I think it's good for us uh, to consider that. That's one of the hardest things that we can do. I've asked a lot of times, Bill, how do I know what I should do? And again, we go first to the scriptures. And if it's something that violates the teaching of scripture, then the answer is no, you, you shouldn't do that. But Bill, it'll make me happy. I, I, I know, I know. Um, and that's what makes living according to the word and will of God hard in this life. Just as we've seen in this sermon, in this uh, uh, book of Matthew, you know, Jesus said it's the narrow path that the people don't want to get on. It's the path of obedience and faithfulness and sacrifice and unselfishness. Uh, it's the way of the cross and not, not very many people are going to want to take that, take that road. Um, and yet we know that that if, if it is, if it is not condemned, if it is what God wants us to do, then, then he'll bless us uh, in that. Uh, so again, how do you discern that? Well, I think that's the first thing. I think you pray and you ask others for their uh, 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 trusted opinion. These are people that you respect that are not going to steer you away from God, away from his will, um, and, and that um, have good uh, uh, sense as far as how to live in this world. Um, and I think that that's a good thing. You, you acknowledge your gifts. I think we all have certain gifts. And so uh, that will help us understand what God's will is uh, for us and also our limitations. Uh, there are some things physically or maybe even uh, emotionally or spiritually that, 
that are too much for us. And that's okay. That's okay. Uh, there are other things that, that we can do. Uh, and I think another thing is, is that you discover what you like. <laughs> you, you discover what brings you joy. I, I think one of the reasons why I wanted to be a preacher is that I really, I, I had a great and wonderful uh, mentor, uh, Ronnie and Karen Clayton, uh, where it was, he was the preacher that uh, baptized me later, three years later, would baptize Joyce our senior year of high school, would marry us uh, a couple of years after that. And, um, you know, I think that it is, uh, it is, it is quite amazing uh, that, um, uh, that, that I would be given that opportunity. The wonderful Lackland Terrace Church of Christ in San Antonio took this, uh, this boy and his family in when I was a freshman in high school. My sister Alice was a senior. Uh, my brother was married and gone. Uh, my parents were still together. Uh, and uh, that Sunday night in, uh, at Lackland Terrace in March of 1972, of my freshman year. Um, we had a study that afternoon with Ronnie uh, Clayton at the church office. And then that night we went to church and when the invitation song was sung, we went forward and my dad was baptized. Um, I was baptized, my sister was baptized and my mom was restored. And that night we went to a devotional with some wonderful, wonderful people, uh, Russ Barty and Ellen Elliott and Jamie Elliott and um, uh, John Schneider and Lori Kampf. And, uh, so uh, I, to just even say those names, Karen Schneider and all of the rest, to just just say those names uh, uh, means so much uh, to me. Uh, Sandra Rodriguez and all of those, some of those names have changed, uh, but um, I, I look back on those days. My friend Gary Toothman, um, uh, the Storks, the Masseys, the, there's just so many names that come uh, to mind as I think of, of that youth group that, that opened their hearts to me three years later would open their hearts to Joyce and, uh, and gave me the chance to, uh, to, to lead, gave me the chance to lead a song or two, to share a devotional or two, ultimately to preach a sermon in El Dorado, Texas, when our youth group went to uh, help them with their services that Sunday. And um, uh, I knew that this is what I love. This is what I, I wanted to do. It's what I admired so much in Ronnie and Karen Clayton and their family. Uh, it's what I believed that God had gifted me to do. And that, and that dream started my junior year of high school and continues to this day. And so many of you that will be listening to this uh, have had such a part in that through all of these years. And I'm very grateful, uh, very grateful to you. So figure out what you're good at, figure out what you like, figure out what is, uh, um, uh, uh, obedient to God's will and God's word, and um, and uh, and conduct some low-cost probes. You know, kind of delve into it a little bit without committing everything. You know, don't quit your job, don't move away at first. Maybe it's good to kind of delve into that a little bit. It's, that's kind of what I did in those high school years, and then going to Oklahoma Christian College and majoring in Bible and being a part of the Harvesters Men's Religious Club. It, allowed me to, uh, uh, to lead and to preach and to teach and to do some things, being a part of the local church there uh, in um, Oklahoma City. Uh, the Wilshire Church of Christ was such a blessing. And, and, um, and so all of those things help us to, 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 to conduct those probes. And, and, um, and also don't be afraid uh, to fail. Don't be afraid to, to hurt a little bit. It's Peter, you know, he, he figured that out. And he reached up to the Lord. Uh, and Jesus lifted him, and he will do 
uh, the same thing uh, for us. I like what uh, the wonderful Dr. Lynn McMillan from Oklahoma Christian University says about living by faith rather than living by fear. The fears are real, we acknowledge them, but they don't, I, they don't uh, give us our identity. Uh, the fears are, are not what overwhelm us, it's the faith in the midst of fear. Uh, it's not faith absent of fear, the fear is still there and it's very real. And again, we try to use good sense but ultimately we live by faith and not by sight. And so sometimes Jesus calls us to get out of the boat um, because he wants us to do some water walking. So I hope and, and pray that as you consider these things that you'll ask yourself some questions, you know, what, what's your boat right now? What is, what is Jesus trying to call you out of or into um, and, and uh, seeking to use you? to accomplish his will and his mission and his purpose, not just in your life, but in the lives uh, of others. Um, so I hope that you'll consider all of those, all of those things. Matthew 14 ends with, uh, again, some more words about Jesus' uh, great power and his miracles. Um, and we'll see some more of that, obviously, as we go through the Gospel of Matthew. And so now we go to chapter 15, Matthew chapter 15, uh, which is a uh, a great chapter because for almost the whole chapter, um, it's the contrast between tradition and traditionalism. It's the call from Jesus to the religious leaders and others of his day and to us uh, today to not be so stuck on our tradition that we let it devolve into traditionalism where uh, those things become more important than the word of God and what God is calling us to do. Um, and so these words are very significant. Jesus reaches back to Isaiah, uh, the prophet in Isaiah chapter 29, as he considers the things uh, that the religious leaders are challenging him with uh, uh, today. Uh, Matthew 15, then some Pharisees and teachers of the law or scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. <coughs> Excuse me. Now, if, if they were in the middle of a, of a novel coronavirus uh, pandemic, perhaps that would be um, COVID-1 or something, I don't know. But uh, if that was them, then they would, they would be more concerned about that uh, for different reasons. But here they're, they're doing it for, uh, from a theological perspective. And it was their tradition that called them to do this. And there were lots of ceremonial washings. Um, their baptism, of course, could be considered a, a first century washing uh, and cleansing, but it's so significant in the New Testament. It's unlike anything else. In fact, the baptism that John and his disciples preached was unlike any other baptism uh, that was preached because they were preaching a baptism of repentance. They were telling Jews who were already Jews, you need to be baptized uh, out of repentance. Jesus and his disciples would preach the same. And then beginning in Acts 2, uh, with the beginning of the church and finally going back down to verses uh, 36 through 38, Peter uh, affirms that Jesus has been made both Lord and Christ and they had crucified him. Um, and so they ask, what do we do in verse 37? And the answer comes back, uh, repent and be baptized every one of you, but in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you too will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Um, that, that's unlike what 
Jesus is looking at today in Matthew 15. And so Jesus replies and, and he calls them out. Uh, he calls them out in verse uh, three of Matthew 15. And why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, honor your father and mother and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares uh, that what might have been used to help their father or mother is devoted to God, quote unquote, they are not to honor their father or mother with it. Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. And so Jesus calls them out and, and they ask him about washing hands. And Jesus says, yeah, but that's not nearly what you are doing. What you are doing is, is disobeying the clear command of God, who says to honor your parents and take care of them. And yet what you do is you get around that and you say, no, I'm going to do something else with my money. And oh, yeah, it, it honors God. And then your parents go uh, in need. Uh, later on in the New Testament, um, uh, Paul will, will tell young Timothy, look, you need to tell the church that, hey, they need to take care of their family that are suffering and that are hurting uh, and that are in need. Uh, the church can help, yes, but the first call goes out to, to their loved ones and to their family. And we're there for each other as a church, but we're also there for each other as, as family. And Jesus uh, mentions that in this very passage and he tells them, look, your worship doesn't give you permission uh, not to take care of your parents, not to honor your mother and your father, uh, one of the 10 commandments. And so Jesus says, you know, there's, and, and it gets back to places like Hosea six, where God says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Our worship, our sacrifices of worship, they don't take the place of loving our neighbor as ourselves. They don't take the place of taking care uh, of our parents. And, uh, and so Jesus says, look, let's, let's not talk about something that's uh, simply a tradition. Let's talk about the word of God and how your traditionalism has given you permission uh, to be disobedient. Uh, it's something that we must all uh, watch out for. And Jesus again quotes from Isaiah 29, talking about lip service. It was that way in the 8th century BC in Isaiah's day. It was that way in the 1st century in Jesus' day. It's that way today. It's a, it's a temptation that Satan throws at us that causes us to try to make some things more important than they should be. And how we go back to right here, we go back to the word of God uh, and ask ourselves again, God, what is it that you see uh, as being uh, the most important. Going to try to keep track of my time here because it's my anniversary and everything, and I don't want to go all night on this one. Um, okay, so let's keep going. Uh, did you notice how I just kind of blended right in there that it's my anniversary? I'm, I'm trying to score as many points as I can here, so y'all give me a break. Uh, okay, continuing on in Matthew uh, 15, Jesus responds to them, even though he has already called them out and said, look, what you're talking about is not is not significant, uh, but he still responds to it and, and listen to what he says. Um, what goes into someone's mouth, verse 11, does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. They'll have this same issue regarding uh, things that the Jews could and could not eat later on in the days of the church. 
And the Apostle Paul addresses that in the book of, of Colossians, and he addresses it in the, in the book of Romans as well. Um, and, and what Jesus is saying here is, okay, let's, let's talk about significance here, uh, because you do more good and more damage with the good and the bad, respectively, that come out of your mouth rather than the things that you put in it. And he's going to tell us why. Um, verse 16, are you so dull? Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart. And these defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person. But eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. Earlier in, uh, in Matthew, in Matthew chapter 12, he had, he had made this great statement, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What the mouth speaks is what comes out of the heart. And so we're not for sure what's in our hearts, but Jesus gives us a little bit of a window there. And he tells us, well, we do know that, that, um, that the mouth speaks from the heart. And so that's what Jesus is getting at here as he tries to get them to move their attention away from um, the peripheral things to the more important things of the heart. Okay, Matthew 15, verse 21. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him, crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. The reason Matthew says she was a Canaanite woman is that she was not a Jew. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away for she keeps crying out after us. They don't tell him to heal her. They don't tell him to answer her prayer and to heal her daughter. They just tell her, tell, ask him, tell her to get out of here. Jesus talks to this woman and he says to her, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. And that's true. Uh, Jesus' primary mission was to the Israelites, the descendants of Abraham. It was not until the church began in Acts 2, and really not until we see Peter going to the home of uh, the non-Jew, the Gentile Cornelius, that non-Jews are welcomed into the church. But God has always been concerned for Jew and non-Jew. We see it time and time again in Scripture, and we see it in the life of Jesus as well. I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel, Jesus tells her. Verse 25, the Lord came and knelt before him. Help me, help me, Lord. Jesus replied, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. And we think, wow, that's a cruel, heartless thing to say. And it, it seems that way. But again, it reaches back to the significance of Jesus' mission, that he was called to the people of Abraham. He was called uh, to his own people, to the Jews. But her response is amazing. She doesn't uh, challenge him. She doesn't question him. She doesn't criticize him. Uh, she simply tells him the concern of her heart. And she says in verse 27, yes, it is, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. And we might say, wait a minute, she was a Canaanite. She was a pagan. She was not a Jew. Jesus shouldn't have done that. Well, by all counts, maybe he shouldn't have. 
and he did not intend to from the start. Uh, but this woman was persistent. She kept going to him and going to him, and she was faithful, and she made that great statement, and Jesus responds. And several times in the Gospels, we see Jesus interacting with Gentiles, non-Jews, and we see him acknowledging and affirming their faith, because again, God looks at the heart, and he's going to respond to those who are seeking him genuinely, sincerely, from their heart, just as he did Cornelius. He was a, a God-fearer. He was a man who feared the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, even though he was not a descendant of them. And God heard and answered his prayers, and he brought him the word of God through the apostle uh, Peter. Uh, in the verses that follow, we read about another uh, miraculous healing, uh, a, a rather a miraculous feeding. Jesus again sees the crowd gathered, challenges his disciples to feed them. And, and uh, they think, well, I don't, I don't think all the grocery stores uh, in Capernaum could uh, uh, feed this group. But, um, but Jesus miraculously feeds them um, again. We had seen him uh, do that uh, before in chapter 14, also an account in, in John chapter 6. Um, and here uh, in Matthew 15, Jesus uh, heals, the, uh, uh, feeds those who are uh, thousands of people uh, in a miraculous way. And again, just as before, a lot is left over and a lot is collected uh, so, that, um, so that people uh, can be helped. Um, and, and that brings us to Matthew chapter 16 and great chapter as well. The Pharisees and Sadducees, they were two sects of the Jews, and I always have to spell that word out, S-E-C-T-S, -E sects. It is the plural of sect. Uh, <clears throat> the Pharisees and Sadducees came to Jesus and tested him by asking him to show them a sign from heaven, uh, which we seem seems like that's okay. I mean, Jesus did a lot of signs. Jesus replied, however, in Matthew 16, verse 2, when evening comes, you say it'll be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning to, today, it'll be stormy for the sky is red and overcast. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation looks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. Jesus then left them and went away. It's interesting in the Gospels that sometimes when there's not much faith, Jesus will just walk away and not do a lot of miracles or do a lot of teaching there. We see that in his hometown uh, in Nazareth. Uh, we see that here. Uh, but in other places, Jesus will affirm someone and heal them, uh, even though they don't even know who he is. Um, and again, Jesus is looking at the hearts of people. And when he sees the hearts of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the other leaders of the Jews, um, he doesn't see a warm and genuine heart that's seeking his will. Uh, he sees people who are uh, simply trying to uh, uh, continue and maintain their power and, and to uh, find a reason to be critical and destroy him. And so Jesus tells them only the sign of Jonah and, and they don't get it. They don't get it. Uh, they don't even get it when he's on the cross, because one of the things as he is uh, uh, being accused uh, before being crucified, they, they, they say, hey, he was going to destroy the temple. Uh, and then from the cross, they say, hey, Mr. Big Shot, you said you could 
build back the temple in three days if it is destroyed, but they didn't get that he was talking about his body. And here he refers to that. Uh, Jonah being in the belly of the big fish for three days and three nights, Jesus uh, in the belly of the earth um, until he was raised from the dead on that first day of the week. Um, and so we continue reading in verse five of Matthew 16. When they went across the lake, the disciples forgot to take bread. Did they forget or were they thinking, oh, maybe we'll have another miracle here? Be careful, Jesus said to them, be on your guard against the yeast or leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They discussed this among themselves and said, it's because we didn't bring any bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked, you have little faith. Why are you talking among yourselves about having no bread? And then he tells them, don't you remember? We've been through this. I've, I've provided bread for you. This is not about physical food. It's not about bread. Uh, but be on your guard, he says in verse 11, against the yeast, the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood, verse 12, that he was not telling them to guard against the yeast used in bread, but against the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Uh, as we've seen, sometimes leaven or yeast gets a bad rap in the New Testament or in the, in the church today because we think it's always bad, and it's not always bad. Jesus tells parables, as we saw in Matthew 13 and other places, about uh, the kingdom of heaven being like leaven, being like yeast that works through the whole batch. Um, and the gospel is like that. It works through the whole uh, world uh, if we will use it and if we will let it. Uh, but here he says, beware. Here it's used in a negative sense, uh, because in the same way, just as good can filter through the whole batch, uh, so can bad. And Jesus says, be on your guard against that teaching. It strikes back a little bit to what we read in Matthew 15, where Jesus uh, talks about the traditionalism of the religious leaders uh, and warns against uh, uh, finding that teaching that will allow me to do what I want to do uh, and, and rationalize the word of God and the commands of God away because they're not they're not convenient. They're not something that I want to find in my life right now. Um, and so Jesus says, be careful. Um, don't, don't settle for something that's not the word and will of God. Um, and that's what he's warning about here. And then this great interaction uh, with Peter. I think we still have time uh, to go through this passage in Matthew 16, beginning in verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Which is what his intention was all along. He knew what everybody was saying about him. But this is what Jesus does. Um, he just refuses us to uh, be on the surface. He, he calls us to commit. Um, we can, you know, talk long and hard about our favorite subjects, our favorite scriptures, the, the things that we do well, or maybe the things that seem to be, you know, pretty bland and don't call us out to, to live a certain way and to do things the way God calls us to do things. Um, but this is, this is what Jesus does. We'll see him do this with the, the man we call the rich young ruler. Uh, in a little bit as he as he 
challenges him in the in the one area of his life uh, that would that would be hard for him to give up in order to follow Jesus. That's what Jesus challenges him with. And, and he does the same thing with us. And in this passage, he does the same thing with his disciples. They could talk all day about who other people thought, said was Jesus and what they thought of Jesus. And it wouldn't threaten them at all. And I, I understand this. I can preach a lot of sermons and teach a lot of lessons that really don't challenge me all that much. Um, but when I apply it to myself, when I consider those great passages of scripture that I find uncomfortable um, in talking about, um, that's, that's where Jesus finds Bill. And that's where Jesus finds you uh, as well. And that's where Jesus finds these disciples here. Okay, some say this, some say that, that's all well and good. And then Jesus says, who do you say that I am? And, and, and we, we have to decide. Simon Peter answered, of course, Simon Peter answered. Verse 16, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, verse 18, and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. And we've talked about that before, Jesus not tooting his own horn. But this great interaction with Peter, Peter doesn't always get it right, but in this case he does. And Jesus tells us why he got it right. He got it right because he had a, a special revelation from God. Peter, this is not you speaking. This is the Holy Spirit. And so he affirms Peter and he blesses him. And he says, you're blessed, Peter, uh, because of what you said. And what was it that Peter said? He told that Jesus that you are the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, the one we've been waiting for as a people for all these thousands of years. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. Uh, you are deity. Peter's words are blasphemy unless they're true, unless they're true. And I believe, Peter, that, that he really believed this. He was gifted this great confession. And then Jesus blesses him. Uh, and he tells him this in verse 18, upon this rock, I will build my church. Uh, and it's not the rock of Peter. Clearly, it's not the rock of Peter. Peter is up and down and up and down. And even at the cross, he's away and he leaves Jesus, and he finds it very hard to sheepishly come back to Christ as, as Jesus puts his arm around him in John 21 and encourages him, hey, I still have a mission for you, Peter. I want you to feed my sheep. That, that's not the one that Jesus would build his church on. He built his church on what Peter had said, that Jesus himself was the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior, the Son of the living God. Uh, and so Jesus affirms that in Matthew 16, verse 18, the only place in the New Testament in the, in the Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, where the word church uh, is used, uh, because we find Jesus talking about it in the future. Uh, it's something that he will build. He hasn't built it yet. He's got disciples, and at times he has a big crowd, but that's not the church, because the church is built on Jesus the Savior, and Jesus doesn't save until he gives his life on that cross. 
And so we see Satan continuing to try to deter him. Even while he is dying on the cross, people saying, hey, Mr. Big Shot, come down from the cross now and we'll believe you. And he could have, and they would have. Uh, Jesus, uh, of course, could have called all those thousands of angels to come and they would have delivered him. And Jesus would have been saved, but we would have been lost. And so when the father tells Jesus no, when he prays, take this cup from me, the father tells him no. No, I, I, I'm not going to do that. I could. And I could save you. But in doing so, I wouldn't be able to save everyone else. And so today that has priority. And Jesus accepted that. Not my will, but yours be done. And he accepted that on the cross by not coming down, as they jeered him to do, by not calling the angels to save him, but rather gave his life for us. Upon this rock, Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. We'll storm those gates. Um, they won't be able to uh, overcome the church. Uh, I love that song uh, that we sing uh, in heavenly armor, uh, we'll enter the battle belongs to the Lord. Uh, and we believe that. And, and that battle was not fought or won in the way we as 21st century Americans would think. It wasn't fought or won the way the disciples and the rest of the first century Jews expected it to be won. It was won by Jesus giving his life on the cross. Um, and so that's what leads us to Peter's next response. Just as he is right on target by confessing Jesus to be the son of God and the savior. He is way off base, way wrong in what he says next. Verse 21, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. And that's the way we are. And Jesus affirms that. Verse 24, then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Forever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the son of man is going to come in his father's glory with his angels. And then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Truly, I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the son of man coming in his kingdom. I think that last verse refers to the kingdom of Christ that was established on that day of Pentecost, less than two months after Jesus died on that Passover weekend and was raised on that Sunday. And then within two months, he had ascended to the heavens, to the Father, and uh, not long after that, the Holy Spirit came in Acts chapter two and repentance and remission of sins in the name of the resurrected Jesus Christ, just as it had been prophesied by Jesus in Luke 24 for the first time it was preached and the kingdom of Christ and the church of Jesus Christ is now spoken of in the present after that event. Uh, in this case, um, 
Jesus tells them, look, he had just had this great mountaintop experience, this great moment where uh, you find Peter saying, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus saying, that's right, Peter, I'm so proud of you. I'm, you're so blessed because God has revealed this to you. And I tell you, on that confession, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build my church. And then he tells them, now let me tell you how that's going to happen. Here's how it happens. I'll be betrayed. I'll be forsaken. Uh, I'll be charged and accused. I'll be turned over to the Romans from my own people. And I'll be crucified. And on the third day, I'll rise again. And Peter tells him what we try to do as well. Never, Lord, never. This will never happen to you. I won't let it. I won't let it happen to you, and I won't let it happen to myself, because that's really what Peter is talking about. And Jesus calls him out in the strongest way he could. Get behind me, Satan. This is the work of Satan. This has been Satan's call since the very beginning. Those first temptations in Matthew 4, Satan comes to Jesus and says, hey, do some big miracle, big shot, and everyone will know who you are. From the cross, they'll say, come down from the cross and we'll believe you. But what no one understood, what Peter doesn't understand here, is that this is exactly the way that Jesus saves us. It's the way of the cross. But it's more than just that. As Jesus goes on, he says, look, this is not just my way that I have to take, but it's the way I'm calling you to take as well. And that's what he says, uh, beginning in verse 24. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow after me. That's a far cry from what we hear, especially in our own country today, um, where, where the cry is, look, what, what God wants for you more than anything else is to be happy. And we can't find that anywhere in Scripture. In fact, we find the opposite. It's not that God wants us to be unhappy. It's that the calling that God has given us sometimes will make us unhappy in this world, in this life today. When Jesus prays in the garden, Father, if it's all possible, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, yours be done. What Jesus is saying there, and we understand it completely, look, not having to go through this crucifixion would make me very happy, Father. But God says, at this moment, it's not about your happiness. I'm sorry. But it's about the salvation of others. It's about your being obedient. And sometimes God tells us the same thing, I believe. And Jesus tells us that here. If you want to be my disciple, don't think that it's going to be a piece of cake and you're going to get everything you want and you're never going to be challenged and it's never going to be hard. He's already told us that in Matthew chapter 10. He said, boy, people are going to be against you because you've turned to me. Here he says the same thing. Look, if you want to be my disciple, then you've got some things you're going to have to give up, primarily yourself and your own selfish desires. If you want to be my disciple, you've got to deny yourself. Take up your cross. Luke in Luke chapter 9 says daily. Take up your cross daily and follow me. And Jesus tells us, look, if you're in this to win for yourself, if you're in this uh, to feel good for yourself, if you're in this to gain the whole world, rather than gaining your soul, then it's not worth it, and you can't be my disciple. Because Jesus wants us to be focused not just in this life and in this world, but on the world to come. He wants us to be focused on eternity. 
Um, and so he warns them about that. And he warns us as well. And he tells them, look, uh, one day I'll come. One day I'll come. And you'll know it. And you'll see it. Um, and, and you'll be rewarded. In other places, he says, no one who has given up a mother or father or brothers or sisters or lands or riches uh, for my sake and for the gospel, no one who has done those things uh, will fail to receive what they have given up in, in a hundred times as much. Not in dollars and cents, not in happiness, the way the world measures happiness, which is I get to do what I want at this very moment. Because so much of the gospel, so much of the life of Christ, so much of the life of the first century church, so much of the teaching that we are to live by today goes counter to that. That's America talking. That's not, that's self-talking. That's not the way of the cross. But the way of the cross says I'm concerned with doing the, doing the Father's will, first of all. And I'm concerned with doing what will help others and not just myself. And I'm, I'm concerned with what will help me for eternity, not just right now. And so sometimes that's going to be hard. And the disciples said, oh, no, Lord, you should never have to die. Far be it from, from, from us to let that happen. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, because that's the way the world sees it. Um, in the next few chapters, we're going to hear Jesus say, look, you know, the way of the world is the, you know, the ones who have all the power and all the authority and all the money and all the friends, those are the ones that are the greatest. But I tell you, the, in the kingdom, the greatest is the servant. The greatest is the person who's uh, put themselves last uh, so that others can be before them and specifically so that the will of God uh, can be seen, lived out in their very lives. Um, it's a challenging gospel. It is. I get that. It's challenging for all of us, but Jesus gives us power and he gives us forgiveness. Uh, but he wants us to be on that narrow path. He wants us to be willing to put ourselves last. He wants us to not be interested in saving ourselves. Um, he wants us to be willing to deny ourselves and to take up our crosses um, and to follow after him. Um, that's, what, that's what Jesus did. That's what we are called to do uh, as well. Um, and I hope and pray that these lessons are helping to challenge you and to call you out of the boat of your own comfort and your own fleeting happiness to long-lasting eternal joy that circumstances of life can't take away, uh, to that, that eternal presence of God in our lives now in this world and in the world to come for eternity. Um, and so before we go, let's have a word of prayer on this National Day of Prayer. And, um, and one final word as well um, uh, when I'm finished. Father, thank you for this uh, scripture. Thank you for this word. Thank you for our country, our great country. Bless our leaders. Bless the leaders of our communities and churches. Bless the leaders around the world. See us through this time of pandemic um, and deliver us, Father, and help us, Father, that this will allow us to be reminded that we're not the ones in control, but to look to you for that uh, blessing. And Father, we pray that you would um, forgive us when we try to put ourselves before you and, and before others. And we pray, Father, that you would use us to help share your message uh, with others. 
Uh, Father, thank you for empowering us. Thank you, Father, for forgiving us, for not just saving us, but for calling us out of the boat to walk on the water with you with eyes of faith in order that your word and your will and your joy might be shared with others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So one last thing, as I say goodbye, happy anniversary, Joycey. I love you so much. God bless you all.